How's it, guys? How's it, Nick? Yeah, Ronnie, lucky to have you back. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday morning, or if you're listening to the podcast later in the week, whatever day it is. But yeah, you're here with me, Nick, and as always, I'm joined by my good buddy, Ronnie. So when do people usually listen to this? Funny enough, we get a lot of the traffic on Sundays. You know, our, our diehards are there on a Wednesday morning, but a lot of you guys seem to enjoy the podcast on Sundays. So as an after, after, after the events of the, of the weekend, so they really can criticize our poor predictions. Yeah, so they come in on a Sunday morning with a cup of coffee, listen to you, Ronnie, and decide, yep, Ronnie was definitely wrong again. Nick is always right. Well, we had a listener. We had a listener that actually commented last week and said, you know, actually, Ronnie was right, right? <laughs> yeah, you're bringing that up. I was hoping you would have missed that one. But yeah, he did call me out, you know, saying that you did finish higher than me on, on Super Brew for the Six Nations. So he definitely got that right. Unfortunately, that did happen, but it won't happen for the World Cup, eh, Ronnie? I don't know. Let's see. I mean, I beat you in like 80% of the Super Brew tournament. So clearly I know something more than you. I mean, you might know names and dates and figures, but I know scores. Well, we'll have to see. The URC is not done. You know, Heineken Cup, the South African challenge is over. You know, Ronnie, I think we need to just start off this episode with a bit of thoughts out to the McIntosh family. Master Ian McIntosh passed away. Former Springboks and Sharks coach, a legend of the game here in South Africa. Especially the Sharks, right? I mean, it's a little bit of a, you know, it's he's got a soft spot in our, in our books because he led the Sharks to their first Curry Cup wins and, and that sort of stuff in the early 90s. And it wasn't just a one-off wonder. We The Sharks were quite dominant in the 90s and uh, won a couple of cups under him. Yeah, and I mean, he really, really gave back to the community. He was always involved, still very, very involved in rugby. So sad to see him pass on, but your legacy will not be forgotten, that's for sure. So, Ronnie, talking about the Sharks then, the Heineken Cup and Challenge Cup was on this weekend. Are we going to take a dive into some of the results in the Heineken Cup then? Oh, well, let's just skim over it because as a South African, pretty, pretty dismal this past weekend. Yeah, pretty dismal. I think Belinda, she wrote for us this morning and put an article out there. So I think we must head it off there. Not making excuses. We accept the defeat, but there are some things in a rugby conversation that need to happen after the weekend. And we will be delving into those a little bit. But let's take a start from the first game on Friday night. Leinster with a 55-24 win over Leicester Tigers. Jasper Visa a bit more quiet. Pollard having a little bit of an off game. But pretty much expected. We always expect Leinster to win at this stage. Yeah, I think for me, you know, having moved over from Super Rugby to URC and these and the Challenge and the Champions Cups, Leinster's, you know, what the Crusaders were five, ten years ago. Yeah, they really are a handful to deal with. They're a very, very well-coached side. And I mean... The number of internationals in there, these guys are so familiar with each other that they play the game with such finesse, and it's really, really great to see. Yeah, Jasper Visa coming out and saying, you know, he was a bit disappointed with how it was handled. Suddenly they were losing their coach, and it was basically only a, a chat in the change room. There was no formalities, no time period to lapse, and next minute their coach was gone. And not only that, also their attack coach followed suit. So Big changes for Leicester, and I think they are on an upwards trajectory, but not in the position to take on Leinster at this point. Yeah, look, I think they're just looking for excuses now, but maybe not much in it. Maybe you know the media always blows it out of proportion or whatever. He just made a passing comment. Sure, they lost their coach, but really, did it would it would it have affected them that much? I don't know. Yeah, it's tough to say, but I think in playoff games you do look to your coach as the leader of the side and to bring that sort of stability. 
think how much the box rely on Russi and, and those similar personalities. So definitely some merit in that. But also just to clarify, Jasper didn't say this after the defeat. This was in a separate interview when he was talking about the situation. I just thought the two should be tied together a little bit. So you're correlating something that's not necessarily correlating. Correct. Then we go over to Toulouse, and this was a bad one. You said the Sharks were not playing Toulouse last weekend. I think you got that one wrong. 54-20 victory for Toulouse. That was a massive, massive win. No, no. Okay, massive, massive win, sure, but the scoreline doesn't reflect how the game really unfolded. The Sharks were in it right up until nine minutes to go. Yeah, I mean, as you say, there was a six-point lead and 12 minutes left in the game, so the Sharks were right in it up until that moment. And then Toulouse just ran away with it. Yeah, and that's a little bit disappointing. It's obviously disheartening. We heard you know, comments that came out after the fact that the Sharks' change room was so quiet. And I'm sure they were very disappointed. I think they can be proud of themselves in the way that they played. They played really well, I thought. As, you know, again, just the scoreline doesn't reflect how well the Sharks, I believe, actually played. Yeah, I think the Sharks were definitely in it. They were firing and, and keeping Toulouse on their feet up until that last 10 minutes. But I think something needs to be mentioned here of Kerwin Bosch. He got 14 carries in that game for a total of 225 meters, which is really impressive. It's a competition high for any player. So, so 14 carries, though he was playing fly half. Correct. So you'd expect him to get the ball. And I suppose what we're saying is, yeah, he took crash 14 times rather than distribute the ball. Correct, but making good meters, 225 meters is a lot. So 225 meters made with 14 carries? Okay, fine, sure. I suppose if he didn't make so many meters, we would have chastised him for not distributing the ball. But he seems to have been punching holes quite well. But this actually leads me onto a debate I want to have with you now, Ronnie, because (laughs) (laughs) I think these stats point, and if you watch the game, point to a problem at the Sharks. Because Kerwin clearly enjoys running the ball thriving off the space. I mean, you saw the try he set up for Grant Williams. That was cracking. But Kerwin cannot defend, and he shies away from the defending in the 10 channel. Often you see the Sharks putting Buddha Chamberlain up there to defend, and Buddha seems to do better with less time. So why is Bosch playing at 10 and Buddha at 15 when, when you look at the stats and how each player plays, it seems like it should be swift? Okay, but we've had this conversation before with Damien Valencia slotting in at 10, I think the 10 and 15 roles very much interchangeable these days. So it doesn't really matter what number you have on the back. If it's 10 or 15, you're going to play similar roles. It's only really on defense or attack, right? So he would take, Kerwin would take more ball on attack. And then, you know, they'd switch around and, and put, you know, put her in on the defensive line at 10, perhaps a little bit more. So I don't think it really matters whether whether they wear 10 or 15. It's the two the two positions are very very similar today. Yeah, I agree that they're similar, but I just feel like Butta is better serviced at 10 and Bosch better at 15 for what they bring to the game, you know, and how they attack the game, how they play the game. And I think that that's something a new coach coming in will look to address because Bosch does not seem comfortable in that 10 jersey, especially when the pack is not moving. Okay, I hear you. So you would put, would you would swap them, the two of them, and put Butter out in 10 and Kerwin at 15, right? Correct. All right, but do you feel comfortable with Kerwin being the last line of defense? We've spoken about how many times in 2014 or 13, when was it, when Patrick Lambie made that try saving tackle at 15 against Malachi Fekitoa, right? 
Had you put Kerwin in that position, would he have made a similar tackle? No, for sure. But then you also have to look at the defensive patterns because the Sharks run a similar defense that the Springboks do, where it's a rush defense cutting from the outside in. So as soon as that pass goes wide, there's trouble. And that's going to be difficult for any fullback to defend. So I think with Buddha there at 10, and then you've got the likes of Rohan or Some Ben Tapawai to centers, shut so. them down early, it would take a bit of that defensive pressure off of Kerwin. Yeah. Do you think uh, it mattered that we had a change at nine? Well, that's actually something I want to talk about. How bloody quick is Grant Williams? Grant Williams is my favorite, my preferred nine. Unbelievable pace from the youngster. When Cohen passed that ball to him, that guy just caught fire. He raced off with that bloody ball, stepping inside, outside, and try for the Sharks. Okay, so attack is brilliant. I mean, he runs like uh, like, uh, Kubus Reinach in his heyday. But defensively, can Kerwin, does Kerwin need a better nine, a better defensive nine to improve at 10 himself? Or is that not something? I think with Kerwin at this age in his career, if he can't tackle, he can't tackle. It's not something that's going to be coached into him. It's not something that's going to improve. And you need to adapt the team to that if you insist on picking him. But Grant Williams definitely upped the pace of the Sharks' attack. It was great to see that. Even with his performance, he was still outdone by Duponte. Can you believe yeah, Antoine Dupont got five try assists in that game? But Dupont is just a, an animal at this point. I mean, many people speak of the fact that he is number one in the world and, and your diehard South Africans will say, no, it's Faf de Klerk. But in all honesty, Antoine Dupont is the player of the year. Undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. Right? And I mean, he can kick off both feet, which is unbelievable and pretty much the same distance. But I can kick off both feet. Five try assists in this game is unreal. It's one more than he got the whole Six Nations. Yeah, yeah. No, look, and that Toulouse team is on fire as well. So, look, credit to Toulouse. Well done to them. They really are a dominant French team, specifically in this tournament. Maybe less in the top 14, but they're also strong in the top 14. But really in the, in the, in the Heineken Cup, they did exceptional. Yeah, they really did. And then lastly, just that Tomas Ramos kick to Intermac with Lucanio. I'm chasing him down like a cheetah on a gazelle. And he just like, nope, not my cup to deal with and chips it inside to Intermac. A little bit of a soccer soccer kick, right? Yeah, that's one of those fuck around and find out moments, you know. Is this going to work? I just don't want to deal with it. Make it Roman's problem and let's see how it's it confidence. Goes. You play with a bit of confidence, right? When when you when you're so comfortable around the ball that you can do a little bit of a soccer kick inside or chip kick here or a grabber there. You saw it in some of the Reds games, Tate McDermott, Jordan Pattaya. Those guys, they feel comfortable with the ball to do these little cheeky little kicks and it's just confidence. No, it's absolutely true. Ultimate confidence that. Then we take a hop over to the Chiefs 42-17 win over the Stormers. I must say, I think this was the Stormers' worst game I've seen them play in this season. It's difficult because they were up north. They came... Back and then they went back up north again. I mean, let's not, maybe we shouldn't talk about travel. Maybe travel isn't something we should factor in here. Yeah, I think we knew the travel was going to be an issue, and I don't want to be part of the media that is blaming the travel. Yes, it's a factor, but we knew what we were getting into, and ultimately we lost. But I think the thing the Stormers missed the most in that game was their breakdown menace, Dion Faree, or alternatively, Nama Naba, because those are two guys that really are effective in the breakdown for, for the Stormers. And we saw how quickly the Chiefs got ball. They were running the Stormers ragged from minute one. Yeah. No, look, and they had the confidence of playing at home. Home field advantage. 42-17. Well done to the Chiefs. 
Exeter, that is. Yeah, it was really impressive from them. And I mean, the Stormers, we know they're a quality side. Yes, they do have ups and downs, but this was a characteristically off game for them. I mean, they did pick it up a bit in the second half and, and challenge a bit more, but not to the extent that we could we were used to seeing from them. I thought Damien Willems had a very good game. Stephen Kitsoff had a very good game. But ultimately, six tries to three in favor of the Chiefs just paints the picture. You know, the, the Stormers' defense was not up to it. And they were getting cut apart by that attack. It really was relentless. Absolutely. So that ended the South African participation in the Heineken Cup, unfortunately, with those two sides being knocked out. But that didn't mean that was the end of the action for the weekend. There was still a big game on Sunday. La Rochelle 24, Saracens 10. Big victory for the Frenchmen and the reigning champions at the moment. Yeah, I'm just glad when anyone beats the Saracens because there's just way too many players in in the Saracens setup that I do not like. Yeah, I mean, it's always good to see Owen and Itoje and them on the losing side of I mean, things. You just mentioned the two players that I do <laughs> vehemently dislike. But it was quite sad to see Billy Vinopolo being taken off in a stretcher with a knee injury. Fortunately, it's not neck or spine, but hopefully he'll be back on his feet. We'd love to see him at the World Cup. Injury prone. Here we go. Ronnie. Injury. He's injury prone. <laughs> that's, that's what Ronnie says second most to, we know what we have in him. <laughs> well, we know what we have in him. He's not injury prone or he is injury prone and then injury prone so there we go simple but yeah i mean you never like to see players getting injured like that so really hope billy will will make it to the world cup but i mean saracens were never really in with a shot they gave away 10 penalties in the first half and with that unfortunately you're never going to be competitive yeah look ultimately the french teams did exceptionally well in the champions cup so well done to them you know they've they've done really well Premierships perhaps lagging a bit, although Exeter did really well, and Leinster holding it up for the URC. Yeah, and I mean, in that La Rochelle side now, they've come from Pro D2, they got promoted, they've now, were losing finalists in 2021, they won in 2022, and they look on track to really compete in 2023. But I was interested to see Tawera Kerbalo performing there so well for them at nine, and funny enough, he's actually eligible to play for the Wallabies now, under the new laws. So do you think Eddie's got his eye in there? He scored two tries at the weekend, but he is 32 years old. So Kerbalo playing for the Wallabies at the World Cup? No, I don't think so. It's definitely possible with a short it's, turnaround look, for it's Eddie. possible, right? But it's not probable because the Wallabies have some great, great scrum halves at the moment. Well, Nick Phipps left out of the squad. Doesn't matter. Tate or McDermott. Nick White, sorry. Tate McDermott. No, true. There's an outside chance, but I do also doubt that. No, he's just being ridiculous move. now. Don't listen to <laughs> Nick. And then I think a huge shout out because this guy impressed me so much in that game. Levani Bottia. He plays center or flank for La Rochelle. And he is an absolute colossus in the rucks. Who's he, the Buffalo that we spoke about? The other French player that also played center. And then Matthew Basteru. Basteru. Bust right through. I think Bortier is what Basteru, everyone thought Basteru would be when he moved to the loose. Well, why do the French do that? I mean, they like, well, I suppose, center, you're 12, you crashes your ball up quite a lot. You know, that's synonymous with what some of your Lucys do these days. So, yeah, maybe maybe they are similar players. I mean, I was a loose forward, but I could very easily have played center. <laughs> There's the joke of the day, guys. But yeah, I mean, you could definitely picture Dialendia pulling it off or Esther Hazen if necessary. But Bortier definitely definitely making it work he was truly impressive and actually my standout performer for the weekend for sure okay if you say so yeah ronnie i do and we all know that i know more than you so it's okay Mm -hmm. then we take a hop over to the only south african competitor in the challenge cup 
Unfortunately, the Lions went down 21-31 to Glasgow. Glasgow being led by Franku Smith. So unfortunate that a South African ended our run in that competition too. Well, good for good for Franku, right? Yeah. Firstly, so well done to South African coaches. Goes back to what we spoke about last week or the week before. You know, we produce some good coaches in South Africa and we just outsource them to other countries. Uh, so well done for him. A little bit disappointing for the Lions. Although I thought they played pretty well. Yeah, well, absolute chaos seems to be descending in the Lions camp at the moment. It looks like there's going to be some criminal charges dropping for coaches spying on each other's WhatsApp messages and sending them through to Strauli. Albert van der Berg is looking to press charges for that now. So whilst the Lions are starting to produce some results in the field, the backroom issues seem to be escalating quite a bit. And we really hope the boys can sort that out because they have a young squad and it looks like the squad is finally starting to gel. But now they need the management to come to the party. I suppose the backroom issues also extend to back of the aeroplane issues. Yeah, did you see that video, Ronnie? It's very uncomfortable. 10 hours on an aeroplane. Those guys are big. They are tall. They're lanky. Their legs just simply don't fit into economy seats. Yeah, that's something that definitely needs to be sorted out. But the irony of all of that was the hats that they were wearing. Emirates. Fly better. And then they're stuck in a cramped small Qatar Airlines flight. I was wondering because that wasn't an Emirates flight, judging by the colours. So it was Qatar or was it was it Turkish Airlines? I believe it was Qatar. Okay, all right. But that wraps up the Heineken and Challenge Cup action. Now we move over to a bit of Curry Cup where there were some interesting results. The Cheetahs getting a huge 52-15 victory over the Lions at Ellis Park. Lions were reduced to 14 men and... Yeah, she just took every opportunity with their full-strength squad, eh? Full st- okay, so this, we're obviously leading into a conversation we're going to have a little bit later, right? But Cheetah's full-strength, Lions, not full-strength. Yeah, Lions, not full-strength. I mean, this is something you've seen now. The Bulls loaded up their Curry Cup team. The Cheetahs did the same now that they've been taken out of the more advanced competitions, if you can put it that way. And I mean, you see those results directly reflected when you look at what went on in the Curry Cup. But very good victory for the Cheetahs. They made their statement there. You know, they will want to win this because they are out of all other competitions at the moment. And then also a big win for the Western Province. 47-28 Griffins. Don't forget the Griffins beat the Bulls last week. Yeah, we can't quite call them giant slayers at the moment or at this point. But yeah, Griffins, we're going to watch you with a keen eye. Yeah, it was it was good to see in Western Province scoring seven tries in that fixture. So it really was all out, out attack. Really, Ronnie, that's the first time I hate Western Province more than I hate the Stormers. Is that so? Yeah. Why is that, Ronnie? Color of the strip, or it's the blue and white strip that they have there. (laughs) There you go, guys. You got it here first. Sharks managing to beat the log leaders in the undefeated side. Nineteen twelve win over the Pumas there at Kings Park. Good win for the Sharks, getting their Curry Cup campaign slightly back on track. Slightly back on track, and now that they've got a couple of players that they can choose from additionally you know we expect them to do a little bit better in the curry cup going forward but good on beating the pumas a little bit sad because i do come from the low felt but well done to the sharks for pulling that one off yeah so good when they're seven points they got what they needed out of that game and then a loaded bull side absolutely annihilating the grick was 43 at loftus i mean they really had all their players available and made sure that they used them the bulls not Impressing me in the Curry Cup, and especially not after dropping their coach after only four games. Well, now Jake White's in charge, so a bit of a statement from him. Yeah, it's a bit of a statement, but I also think it shows a lack of confidence in the structures. And yeah, Bulls, you guys need to sort your rugby in Pretoria out because you're losing all across the board. 
your team's been eliminated from the Varsity Cup. Mm. And yeah, something not right here in Pretoria. Sort it out, guys. We live here. We expect better from our city, even if we don't support the Bulls directly. Yeah, the power lines and the power pile, electricity pylons can fall over, but we expect our rugby to be good. There we go. And then just some Varsity Cup action. It was the semifinals this week. That was some interesting rugby. I really enjoyed watching it yesterday. Um, Supersport actually broadcast the 2019 World Cup final yesterday, and I watched the whole thing. I think they did that to cheer us up after getting knocked out of the Heineken and Challenge Cups. But then the, the Varsity Cup came around and that brought some joy. That started off with Ike securing a huge 65-30 win over Shimless. Yeah, unexpected in my opinion. 100% unexpected. Shimless have really been performing this season. And Ike's just took it up to another level. Yeah, look, I agree. So the, I backed the Shimlers through and through, just like I backed CTUT this past season. They, they performed really well. And I thought the Shimlers would take it, but look, well done to Ike's. It's a big score to put over a team like the Shimlers. I didn't, but that's, that's something that's synonymous with Varsity Cup is big scores. Yeah, I mean, obviously the try ratio is also difficult, which is something worth a mention because depending on where the try originates from determines how many points it is. And it was quite frustrating for me to be watching on Supersport and the score kept changing because the Supersport guys weren't sure what it was actually worth. So that's something that they need to sort out there. But that, that's also part of the reason why you see these big score lines. So Ike Tigers then securing themselves a spot and ultimately a home final. Because later on in the evening, the Eagles from Poch secured a 19-10 win over Marty's. Now, sorry, Mr. Proudfoot. We were backing Marty's. We really were. Yeah, we were looking forward to that beer for the final, Matt. We'll come next season. Yeah, so that's now set up an Ikees versus NW Eagles final. That's going to be a cracker game, and that will be played in Cape Town. So you say NW Eagles. NWU. <laughs> NWU Eagles. <laughs> that's the one, Ronnie. Now, there's something, and the reason I've put this separate from the chat about the Heineken Cup is because it's, I'm not talking about it in terms of the influence it had on any specific game, but the influence we've seen it have in at least the last year on a number of games with the Six Nations, the Autumn Internationals, the, the local games, and now in the Heineken and Challenge Cups, is these French TV directors. Now, pardon my French, but I am good this shit. Yeah, it's unbelievable, right? So, look, the Sharks... That wasn't a try. The Sharks got called back. Akun Bosch, that whistle, that referee blew that whistle right moments before Kerwin kicked it through the posts. And that was a little bit, yeah, I was a little bit quite, I was quite shocked with how long it took them to establish that there was a forward pass. I think it's quite simple. You're not supposed to play replays unless the call has been made and set in concrete, right? So it's up to the TMO to decide what gets put on the big screen during a try or after a try or whatever. But once it's set in concrete and the decision cannot be changed, only then can TV directors put their highlights on the big screen. Because I don't mind that they put that they put it on and pointed out that it was rightfully a forward pass and shouldn't have been a try. But then they have to do it for both teams and they definitely are not going to do it for their own teams. No, I mean, you've seen it across the board now in numerous fixtures that are played in France. They hyper-focus on the opposition showing every little niggling error, every tiny thing. And then when a French side does something, the camera it's is a blackout. nowhere to be seen. Yeah, right. There's a blackout. I mean, you saw Angus Gardner getting upset in November, saying to the guys, you know, don't cut off the mic again. I'm in charge here. I talked to the TMO. And we spoke about it previously as well, the influence that these TV directors have on a fixture. And we asked ourselves, you know, is this 
just the benefit of playing at home or especially because it's not regulated by world rugby it's the stadium that employs these guys and it's part of the fan experience but when it's having such a material effect or impact on these games i think world rugby needs to step in because yeah. That will 100% ruin a World Cup final. 100% will be an uproar, and especially because we have to play the French, right, most likely coming out of our pool stages at the end of the year. So you don't want something like that upsetting us as fans. We'll riot. So what do you do, Ronnie? Does World Rugby come in, and now do you take over a stadium on game day and say, you know, we're handling the replays, we're handling that? Or does World Rugby come in, change one of the laws, which we know they can do quite quickly because they've done it to Russia on a number of occasions, and say, they the referee to... is not allowed to take account of what is shown on the replays unless No, look, the, the big screen the big screen is there, right? So use it, but like you just said right now, only at the request of the TMO. There shouldn't be replays played on repeat over and over and over until a decision has been has been agreed by the TMO and the ref to be final. Only then can they put replays on. Sure. Yeah, I agree with that because this is, go- this is something that really has the potential of ruining a World Cup. And I mean, even if the Springboks are not in a final and you have, let's go absolutely ridiculous and say England versus France, and it could spoil that fixture. It could spoil any fixture. And really, ultimately, you want a fair fight. You want a fair shot for your team. And this is something that needs to be sorted out because it's only getting worse each fixture that I watch. I agree. Can't say anything more to that. Then, Ronnie, on to some Super Rugby results, just some brief ones to touch on here. The Rebels suffered a humiliating 17-54 defeat to the Blues. Bowden Barrett had a hell of a comeback, proving some of his doubters wrong in the week, so that was a good one. For what position Blues. was he playing? 10. Well, since you don't know, he was playing 15. <laughs> sure, Ronnie. And then Highlanders, they went down at home 14-29 to the Canes. I got that 100% right on Superbrew, just saying. And then <laughs> <laughs> you had the Saders, they got a 38-21 win over Moana Pacifica. I was actually surprised with that result. You traditionally would expect the Crusaders to have done much better, but we know they are struggling a bit this year. And then a game that needs a little bit of a chat, Ronnie, was the Reds going down 24-52 to the Brumbies. But that red card, what did you think of that? I don't think it was a red card. I think it was a criminal offense. Yeah, I was just about to lose my shit at you. I thought you were going to say it wasn't even a penalty. It wasn't malicious. I don't think it was malicious at all. But it was so incredibly reckless. It was unbelievably reckless. So you say that again? It was unbelievably reckless. So there you saw Angus Blythe, you know, get a yellow card in the ninth minute. He made a huge tackle on Corey Toole. And the TMO had to intervene and tell Ben O'Keefe, listen, that's a red card. How O'Keefe thought that that was only a yellow to start with is absolutely bloody bonkers. Okay, but hang on, though, right? So we have to talk about the rule, though. He sent an all. He said it meets the yellow card threshold. So go off the field. Let's get the game moving, right? And while you're sitting on the naughty chair for your yellow card, the TMO is going to review whether it needs to be upgraded to red. Yeah. So we agree. Yeah, we do agree, Ronnie. We do that quite often on the pod these days, which is surprising. But I mean, absolutely ridiculous. And now to see that he should have received a six-week ban and they've reduced it to three. Why would you like that? So they, there were obviously mitigation factors that came to play there. But yeah, he admitted guilt. Nothing. He admitted it's guilt. easy to admit guilt when there's like 40 TV cameras that caught you live doing something. You're going to stand up there and be, it wasn't me. It was the other lock. Yeah, look, I, again, it, it wasn't malicious, right? But it was reckless. And that's what we want to eliminate from the game. Very dangerous situations as a result of being reckless 
should be punished accordingly. But you have to now directly compare this to Emmanuel Chituka. He got a three-week ban for an elbow to the face where he was the guy running with the ball and yeah. the tackler was upright on yeah. him. How does this meet the same threshold? Yeah, right. If you're a big guy and the defender comes in with poor technique, what's, what's the word? Technique. Technique, thank you. And you're going to put your arm out because that's what we were taught at school. You've got to bounce. You've got to put your shoulder into the collision and, and bounce the guy, right? And you get a leading arm, you go for a red card and th get three weeks. That's a little bit unfortunate. So, yeah, look, punishment doesn't always fit the crime. No, and in this, in this six weeks should have been standard. There shouldn't have been any question of mitigation. So, Aussie Rugby and Super Rugby, you guys need to do better because that is not protecting player welfare one bit. However, right, so... I thought the application of the new rules were fantastic. Send them off for a yellow. The TMO will review it, let the game go on while that guy is sitting there on the, on the naughty chair and they figured out whether it needs to be a red or stay with yellow. That was really cool to see. And then also bringing on a player after 20 minutes. So that was cool. Yeah, great implementation of the laws, like you say. But I think the main aim of these laws is to protect players and that has entirely been lost in the post-match disciplinary Yeah. Um, implementation. Then Ronnie, some very worrying news from a Springbok fan perspective. Jürgen Etzebeth out between 12 and 14 weeks with a shoulder injury. Bit of a problem. He's our enforcer. How is our lock depth looking in that situation? Look, we've got a lot of locks. We do. And we spoke about this on the WhatsApp group. It's the likes of Salman Murat and Marvin Ori that are local players that can possibly stand up. They have been Springboks before. So I, I don't think we're I don't think we, we haven't got enough locks, but what we are missing is that X factor. You just called him the enforcer, which I think would only say if Bucky's Boeta was not around. But look, he is very much a special player. And whilst we can match his size and physicality, we can't match his ferocity. Ferocity? Ferocity and his experience. And his experience. So look, I mean, I think this also places an extra burden on Archias Neyman to really come into form and get properly match fit and challenge for a place in the World Cup because we can't go to the World Cup without both of them. I mean, Urban is set to return at some point in the Rugby Championship, so I'm not sure what role he will play there. But I mean, it's definitely a huge loss to the Bok cause not to have him. Look, we know what we have in him. Here we go. Wouldn't be a podcast of us if Ronnie didn't say We it. know what we have in Yevon, right? So he doesn't need to prove himself in the lead up to the World Cup. He just needs to be ready for the World Cup. Correct. Correct. You know what, Ronnie? This is the only time I agree with that. We know what we have in we him. We know what we have in him. 110 cap Springbok. We know what we have in him. <laughs> and then also we've seen an injury to Jaden. He's been ruled out for a period of time, having undergone surgery. But nine is a position I feel like we really have great depth. You said you favor Grant Williams. Maybe opening the door for him to challenge for a spot at the World Look, Cup. we've got so much depth at nine. and we, we took five nines for the squad last year. And at one point I just said, why are we taking so many nines? And I suppose it's paid off now. We have an injury with Jaden, who I think is a very, very good scrum off, especially for the Springboks as well. But we can afford to lose a couple of nines. Yeah, I don't think it affects our depth in that position too badly. Unfortunately, he is injured and he is a great player, and we do hope to see him recover soon. But I think the injury that's upset me the most, Ronnie, is Franz Stein. I I now, for the first time, doubt we'll see him in the box squad for the World Cup. Because of his injury, or don't you think it's just because he's, he's, he's old? It's both, but I think it's sentimental. I really wanted to see France 
That doesn't mean he first can't play. Attack in three World Cups. That doesn't mean he won't play, right? So I sp- we spoke about it last week, and this stuck with me with what Eddie said, Eddie Jones in his podcast. He said, you pick your 15 players, and then you're starting 15 for a World Cup squad, and then you pick your five worst players. And I think someone like Franz Stein is ideal for that, you know, those your five worst players. I don't want to say he's bad. He's not bad, but he's definitely going to be there for the Gears and for the warm-ups and making sure people are staying positive and training hard and making sure everyone's prepared because he's been there. He's been, he's one, two. Yeah, I would really love to see France make it because, I mean, we, we've basically grown up watching rugby with him. It would be really great to see him get that third opportunity. But, you know, get well soon, France, and hopefully we can see you get some game time ahead of the World Cup and that you can make that squad. Yeah, we really want to see France in France. And then, Ronnie, onto this week's fan topic. Craig Morrell writing in. Isn't it a good thing that the SA players will have two less games to play now that they are out of the Heineken Cup? One eye on the World Cup? Or will they be undercooked and lack confidence? I agree. I said it last week to somebody. I don't you know. agree with which part? Eye on the World Cup or undercooked and lacking confidence? Said, isn't it a good thing? That's no, what you agree with. So last week I said that I was concerned that with the Sharks being still in the Champions Cup that the Bulls were now going to be able to dominate the Curry Cup and and that sort of stuff and the Cheetahs because they've got everybody to select from and you know what the Sharks are just going to be spread too thin and you know now that they're out it's fair game everybody can choose from everybody again so the squad's are a bit bigger for the Curry Cup and the URC so lacquer. However, however, I think that these guys are so professional that it really shouldn't have that much of an impact. And then before, I know you want to say something. <laughs> so Rassi, in a couple of weeks ago, there was a little episode two of their plan towards the 2023 World Cup and how many games certain players are allowed to play in a season. And that includes your C and the Champions Cup and all of these first class games as well as Springbok games. And there was a limit placed on that. By meaning that there's two less games to be played in the Champions Cup, it means that they can have, you know, that they aren't going to reach that limit necessarily as quick as they would have. Yeah, well, just on that point, that limit resets from June. So it's from June to June that they can't play these games. Well, that's just stupid. (laughs) (laughs) But just to answer the second part of your question here, Craig, so will they be undercooked and lack confidence? I think you have to look at that question from a South African perspective because had it been the European teams, they don't have many games scheduled after these tournaments ahead of the World Cup. But you must remember the Springboks are still going to go into the rugby championship. They still have warm-up fixtures after that. So it's not to say that this rugby is their last sort of preparations ahead of the World Cup. They still have a fair amount, six fixtures, before they head to the World Cup for the Springboks, which will be a great chance for them to get their, their confidence back up if they have lost any of it, and for them to get that much-needed match fitness. And besides, South Africa doesn't play for anything other than winning the World Cup, right? And every 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 time the World Cup cycle comes around, 2007, I don't want to say ever, because it wasn't that case always, but 2007, 2019, you know, we sucked the year leading into the World Cup. We really did. Our teams didn't perform. It was only the rugby championship that we won before the 2019 World Cup. And then everyone said, oh, well, you know, history... History isn't in our favor. But you know what? We don't tend to do very well in the lead up to the World Cup and then we shine. Everything comes together. Everything falls in place for the World Cup. So I think we're fine. I'm staying positive. I'm a very positive person. (laughs) Well, Ronnie, I'm not so sure about that. But I think that's where we'll leave it, thinking that you're positive. Hope you guys are having a lacquer week and we'll catch you back here next week, Wednesday.
Don't forget to like, subscribe, and give us a review on your preferred listening platform. Five-star review.